The following audio content is a talk given at the Inn, a college ministry of University Presbyterian Church in Seattle, Washington. For more information, please visit our website, theinnseattle.org. We invite you to join us each Tuesday at 9 p.m. on the corner of 16th and 47th in Seattle's U District. Here at the Inn, our hope is that we can encourage you in your relationship with Jesus and with one another. So let's hear some of these nicknames. Anybody want to volunteer what their nickname was that their only only their family calls you? Wingnut. Wingnut. That's a good one. Goo goo bear. Goo goo bear. Church. What's yours? Rai Rai. Oh, Rai Rai. That's boring. Uh, anybody else? Good nicknames. Oh, that's pretty good. Uh, when I when I was a little girl, the nickname my dad. When I was really little, my dad used to call me Stinkpot, and that continued until I was in, like, middle school, um, when he finally stopped. It wasn't until I was much older I realized I should be mildly offended by that nickname. Actually, it was a term of endearment. My mom called me Sweets, which is obviously less offensive, but probably much less a true description of me. But family, for better or worse, can have, it has an influence on us, both positive and negative, and we start to resemble our families, right? We do. I have a picture of myself with my siblings um, that will show you we look a lot alike. That's my older brother and sister, and I look like both of them, not necessarily in that picture, but like my brother and I, uh, we resemble each other with the same coloring. My sister and I actually look a lot alike, even though she has blonde hair. So um, we tend to resemble our families, and not just physically, right? We take on each other's traits in a lot of ways. Well, if you've been here the past couple of weeks, we've been looking at the book of Romans, and it's a letter that was written by Paul to a church that he helped start in Rome. A bunch of baby Christians were there. And the way that we refer to one another in a family with nicknames, um, as with terms of endearment, demonstrate the knowledge that we have for one another in a family. And it's helpful for understanding our relationship with God as well, how we relate to one another in a family. And Paul uses that to help explain faith in Jesus to these new Christians in Rome. So a couple weeks ago, Daniel Thomas, who was an intern last year, he looked at Romans 7. Um, and what Paul was trying to do in Romans 7 is he's trying to help these Christians put on a lens for how they see life from a faith perspective. How do they see life from the perspective of um, following Jesus? So chapter 7 was, here's what, here's what your past looks like if you're following Jesus. And we're, we're now looking at Romans 8, last week and this week. And what Paul's trying to do in Romans 8 is say, here's what the present looks like as a follower of Jesus. Here's what the here and now looks like if you are a Christian. And last week, Ryan preached from Romans 8, that um, we have affirmed, we have affirmed by the Holy Spirit that God has done what the law could not do. God has condemned sin because Jesus fulfills the law by the power of the Holy Spirit. The most powerful power, I know that's really descriptive, but sometimes words aren't that useful. The most powerful power in all the world is the power of the Holy Spirit. And we have that power in us, in our lives. That's what Paul really wants us to understand in Romans 8. So we're going to stop a minute and pray 
for the Holy Spirit to be with us as we take a look at it. Spirit of the living God, fall fresh on us. Mold our minds, shape our hearts to be in tune with you in this place. We're glad that you're here. In your holy name, amen. Okay, so we're going to look at chapter 8, starting at verse 11. Um, and I've asked Court to come up and actually read it so that you, because there's a couple passages of scripture tonight, and um, so you don't get tired of hearing my voice, um, he's going to come up and read. So he's going to read um, verses 11 through 17 of chapter 8. And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his spirit who lives in you. Therefore, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation, but it is not to the sinful nature to live according to it. For if you live according to the sinful nature, you will die. But if the spirit you put to death, but if by the spirit you put to the death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. <clears throat> For those who are led by the spirit of the God, of God are the children of God. The spirit you received does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you received brought about your adoption to, to sonship. <clears throat> and by him we cry, Abba, Father. The spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. Thanks, Court. So we're going to stop there a minute um, and take a look at what Paul is saying, because sometimes there's a lot of run-on sentences in Paul. Man, it gets a little bit crazy. Wait, what? Um, so we're going to take a closer look at it. So what is this spirit of sonship? Not sonships, harvest, harvest cheddar, sonship that Paul's talking about. And why does he use, why does he say Abba Father? As we were talking about earlier, loving nicknames, that only a few people know can really demonstrate relationship between people. It demonstrates intimacy. And that's what Paul is doing by using the word Abba. And you might notice that Abba isn't translated. Paul wrote this in Greek, and we're reading it in English, but Abba is still the same, Abba. So why is that? It's because it's not actually a Greek word. It's an Aramaic word that Jesus used. Father is, Ar Father is Aramaic. Um, is, is ab, and the single syllable, um, let me start over, <laughs> what I just said, ab is father in our Arabic, the single syllable, okay, uh, but we know that children, when they're learning to um, speak, they'll repeat consonants over and over, um, so abba is probably how a child would refer to dad, that's how we have like papa, or dada, or mama, um, so the reason that it's not translated is because it's a name that Jesus used for God. And it would have been so sacred for humans to talk about God in such intimate terms. Think about this. The Hebrew culture, you don't say the word for God, Yahweh. You don't even write it down. When they write it, they leave out letters. Because they consider it too holy to be uttered or written down by sinful human beings. And here you have... Jesus, who is using this word for God, probably the first followers of Jesus that heard him use it would probably blush 
to hear Jesus call God Abba. It was considered such a sacred word. For many people, it was kind of a scandal. Who does this guy think he is calling God Daddy? And this is the reason that a lot of people, religious leaders, started persecuting um, Jesus was because they thought he was speaking of God, the creator of the universe, in um, a terrible, disrespectful way. Now here, in, in verse 15, what we actually see is Paul says not, Jesus cries, Abba, Father. What Paul writes is, we cry, Abba, Father. How strange that we have any right to call God Dad. To crawl into his lap. To be received into his heart. God is not a distant God that we believe in theoretically or theologically. God is our Abba Father. Our worship and praying are spontaneous, like a child who sees the father that he recognizes. And it's not just spontaneous, it's with confidence that we cry out to God. In verse 15, we have received a spirit of sonship. And later in verse 23, that we'll read in a minute, Paul says that we are adopted into God's family. Now, adoption is not a common word in scripture. When that happens, you want to kind of look and see, why did Paul use this word, adoption? In the Greek, it's actually a compound word, eosthesian. Yeah. And that includes the words eos, which is son, and the verb for to set or to place. So to be adopted means that you are put in the place of a son, set into the lap into the heart, a child by decree. The use of the word son is an important one, and Paul is not just writing to the males. He knew that males and females would be reading this letter, and but he also knew kind of the cultural norms were that the sonship said that inheritance, almost all of it goes to the firstborn son. So when it says that we receive sonship, It means that we are being adopted into the top tier of God's family. There's no hierarchy. Paul says that we are heirs, co-heirs with Christ. We are put on the same level as God's own son, Jesus. My mom was actually adopted. And I remember when I was old enough to understand what adoption was. And I asked my my grandpa, her dad, how did he end up with my mom? as his child, and he used to tell this great story. He walked into the nursery, and there were all these babies in there, and he looked at all the babies, and he saw my mom with her big brown eyes, and he said, I knew that she was my daughter. And even as an eight-year-old, I was like, nah But I love how he told that story, even though that's probably not how it happened. When we are adopted, we are chosen. A friend of mine adopted a little girl from China a few years ago, and I was talking to Matilda about her being adopted, and she was telling me about this book she has that says that even though she didn't grow in her mommy's tummy, she grew in her mom's heart. When we are adopted, we are taken into the heart of our parent. Now, the fact that we receive sonship at all means that we were once lost, 
right? We were once, we're not naturally God's children. And I think sometimes that kind of, that messes us up a little bit because we do not win God as our parent. We don't achieve in order for God to be our father. We don't earn it in any way. Adoption is very costly, but only for the one doing the adopting. As a child, you are just to receive. To receive the Father through the Son by the power of the Holy Spirit. Paul wants readers to know we have a choice in how we live out our faith, in how we're followers of Jesus. We can live as a slave or as a son. We can live in bondage or we can be free children. It's easy for us to actually, even when we are a follower of Jesus, return to bondage, to this performance-based attitude toward being accepted, acting as if God's blessing is only based on the amount we increase the work that we do. And I think this perception keeps a lot of people away from faith because they think, oh, I, don't, I don't want to work that hard. It reminds me of the prodigal son. Most of you are probably familiar with it. It's a story that Jesus tells in Luke about... Um, a man with two sons, and he, the younger son, takes his inheritance and he squanders it away. And the whole time, the older son stays with his father and obeys him perfectly. And the younger son returns, and he's received with these open arms of love, and even the father's going to throw this giant feast for him. But the older son could not stop doing things right in order to get the father to love him, always performing. And he responds in a jealous rage when he finds out that this brother, who didn't perform at all, in fact, he performed, you know, terribly, he's received with the same love and acceptance, even though the older son was the one who was perfect. I can imagine him saying, what the heck? Or maybe something stronger than that. You're throwing a party for him, and you're going to go get my 4-H calf, and you're going to feed it to all of these people. (laughs) You're probably going to give him my bedroom too, right? Just because he's back. What was controlling the older son? I think Paul says it best in verse 15. He points out fear, a spirit of fear. His relationship with the father was one based on the fact that he was afraid, not that he could call out to his father as Abba. I have lived with this fear, the need to achieve. Perfection is a powerful drug. Success, needing to impress others, receiving acceptance from others, it can be all-consuming. For a long time in my faith in Jesus, it was all about earning his love. I could not get over that idea. And I was petrified that God was going to smite me, send me to hell. And he was keeping this balance of things, all the good things I did and the bad things I did. And if it went out of balance, I was screwed. He was going to throw a lightning bolt to my head or something. And I expected him to think, all right, that's it, Janie. You spent way too many afternoons watching the real world, like, you're a lazy turd. This is we're, this is done. We're over it. I'm over it. I would have never, ever raised my face to that God, let alone gone to him and called him Abba. 
I would have never, ever crawled in his lap for comfort, care, or hope. My picture of that strict dictator God, so wrong. Because I shouldn't be, we shouldn't be seeking perfection. We should be seeking perfect love. Perfect love drives out fear. Paul wants the re- wants his readers to know that the Holy Spirit brings into our hearts the deepest spiritual and emotional security possible. We can approach God as Abba. That is all we need to know. There is nothing we can do to change the presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives. There is nothing we can do that can make that access to God go away. Nothing. And it's the Holy Spirit that is going to be with us in the midst of this world that too often is full of brokenness and chaos and pain. Paul continues on in chapter 8 of Romans, um, talking about this reality. So we're going to read starting at verse 18 um, of chapter 8. Step into the light. Yeah, it's hard to see in the dark. I can't read it. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. The creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, and hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. But hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. Thanks, Corey. So we continue the um, metaphor of children with the pains of childbirth. And we can see from this passage that life with Jesus, with the Holy Spirit means all our problems are solved. Everything is super chill, right? That's what you picked up from that? Great. All right, we all know that that is not the truth. Remember, Paul is writing to Christians who were suffering and being persecuted on a daily basis. That's what their experience was. So Paul's keeping it real, y'all. That's what he does well. He's calling out the reality of our lives, of humanity, of creation, and he's being truthful about it and letting us know it's a very tough place. That's probably the understatement of the millennia, but it's true. We just need to look around to see pain. Loved ones are dying. Um, friends or ourselves are struggling with, depra- with depression and anxiety. Um, creation is in trouble, right? Half our country is a tinderbox at this present time. Um, and there's war, hundreds of 
thousands of Syrian refugees are wandering around in Eastern Europe with nowhere to go. I could go on and on. We, you all know this. We all know this. The world is a, is a difficult, painful place. And Paul wants us to consider, is it worth it? Should we just pack it in, give up, and live shallow existence? Should we just say, eh, nothing's going to change? No. No, he says, because we have the promise of hope. The one thing we have is knowing the future is fulfilling, it is redeeming, it is renewing, it is joy-giving. That is the one thing we have. This past Sunday at UPC, George Himmon was talking about hope, and he made a great distinction about what it is. Hope is not wish fulfillment. It's not saying, oh man, I wish this would happen. I wish this didn't happen. I wish things looked like I want them to look in my head. That's not hope. Hope is expectation. Hope is knowing that it's going to happen. The knowledge that God is real, is present, is at work, and is going to continue to be at work in this world and in our lives. Paul writes, But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently, because we know it will come. We know. That's what hope is. Paul lets the readers know we are legally adopted and we will be full family members, but we don't yet know what that looks like and feels like. Until that time, we have the Holy Spirit. That is the work of the Holy Spirit, transforming us day by day, moment by moment, giving us those glimpses of eternal joy, right? Those experiences of glory fulfilled. Have you guys had those those moments, those seconds? If you're here, you have, right? You've had those, those glimpses. And when we can't go on, that's when the Holy Spirit's carrying us through. We know this from verse 26, that the Holy Spirit is praying on our behalf through difficulties and uncertainties in our lives. When we realize it and when we don't. Becca was kind of alluding to this when she was talking about worship. She didn't have the words to say. The Holy Spirit is praying for us, even when we don't realize it. The author Anne Lamont says there's two prayers Thank you, thank you, thank you, and help me, help me, help me. Those are really the only prayers we have. And the Holy Spirit is offering those prayers on our behalf, crying out to Abba Father when we can't do it ourselves. To continue on with this theme of childbearing, you guys know what an epidural is? Yeah, you all do. So when a woman is in labor pains, she often will get an epidural um, to help take care of the pain. And I bring this up because I want us to recognize something about the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is not an epidural. It is not taking all of the pain away, making us numb to what's going on in the world. The Holy Spirit is much more like a midwife, being present with us in the pain, looking us in the face and saying, you can do this, I will help you, I will be with you. Because if we're numb, how do we experience the joy? And Paul wants them to know, if you have the the Holy Spirit is not all. Because when we're a family, right, God has bound us to one another as brothers and sisters. That's what Christian community is. And when you spend time with your family, you start to resemble one another, right? Not just physically, but in what you do and in what you say. You guys have all had friends, I'm sure, some point in your lives, that you spent so much time together, you're basically twins, 
When I was in fifth grade, Jody Fickett and I called each other every day before school and decided what to wear and wore exactly the same thing. We talked alike, we laughed alike, we acted alike, we went to all the same New Kids on the Block concerts. We were the same person. When we spend time with one another, when we spend time with God, who do we resemble? We're going to be the face of Jesus to a world that desperately needs it. We're going to be the hands and feet of Jesus serving where there needs to be hope. And I'll close with this thought. One of the times that Jesus calls God Abba Father is when he's in the Garden of Gethsemane. And he's asking God to take the cross away from him. Maybe the only time God says no to his son is because he wanted to be able to say yes to me and to you.